welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us feeling, get us talking, get us connected and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. My co-host and co-producer today is Melissa Stanton-Adams. She is the president and executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. Melissa, it is wonderful to have you here today. Hi, Lori. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Perfect. Wonderful. Good morning. Good morning. And, you know, we've been doing our... Our book review, uh, we, we committed to doing the Racial Healing Handbook review, and it's a wonderful book. I, I encourage everyone to consider um, purchasing this and come and, and every first Saturday of the month joining us for as we examine the Racial uh, Healing Handbook. There are practical activities to help you challenge privilege, confront systemic racism, and engage in collective healing. And Melissa, when you and I were talking about it today, it just seemed uh, about our show today. It just seemed like it would be a missed opportunity not to take the time to really do a debrief of the George Floyd murder case. And there's so much applicability to the book that we're reading and 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 talking about and sharing with the audience, um, and really looking at, at what's happening with the George Floyd case. That it would be it would be a missed opportunity for us not to chat about it. I agree, Lori. I think debriefing on the George Floyd um, murder trial can be something that can actually bring some sort of answers to people who may have questions about some of the things they heard, or it could possibly um, sway someone who may have been thinking one way, could help them to expand their thinking and become open to other ideas. And we are going to open the calls today. Uh, We're not going to do it in the first segment. Either the second or the third segment, we'll be opening it, but I'll I'll give you the number now just so you know you can write it down and and if you feel like giving us a call. You might not feel like giving a call. This This is tough stuff. We haven't opened calls on the show for a long time, but we wanted to do it for this show. Um, And the number is 952-946-6205. Again, that is 952-946-6205. This segment, we're just going to be talking um, about some things that Melissa and I noticed with the witnesses that we wanted to share with you. And the question that we have for the audience is, is there a particular witness that that you most identified with? Uh, Well, there were were a lot of witnesses. And these witnesses witnessed racism, and then they stood up and bared witness. And, And I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead, Melissa. Melissa, are you there? I apologize. I think you're 100% right. And it's about figuring out how are we all going to heal through this process, Mm -hmm. right? It's, It's so important for us to heal. There's been so many different um, issues that came up, not just the racism that we're seeing in society today, but the impacts of COVID-19 are also impacting communities of color and marginalized communities. There's so many different pieces that are wrapped into this. Well, it was traumatic for the witnesses to have lived through what they did in watching someone be murdered. It It's yeah. re-traumatizing for them to go through this again um, and bear witness. <laughs> There's a trauma to our community as well. I mean, there's a trauma yes. to each of us watching this uh, on how we're working through how do we feel about this and what issues is it bringing up? And You bring up a great point that the world is watching mm-hmm. right now. And the world is watching how are we going to handle this situation that we're in? Mm-hmm. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to heal from it, right? Are we going to heal from it or are we going to continue in the cycle of um, racism and systemic oppression? And it gets down to how do we value each other? Mm -hmm. In what ways do we value each other? 
Um, and there were a lot of tropes that were starting to be thrown around, especially by the defense team. You know, the angry mob and an angry black man. Uh, and I'm hoping yeah. that that the folks that are um, that are listening to this uh, and needing to process their opinions that that will you know the jury how how will they process these things? From my vantage point, watching the traditional angry mob and angry black man uh, scenario just didn't fit this group. I mean. Half of the kids, no. half of them were kids. You know, one little girl right. had her little T-shirt on that said "love," and, and is it the only yeah. reason that they want to say that it was an angry mob was because that's what's easy to do? If it's multicultural, then then we have to have fear about it. Um, then we right. have, you know, we, we can't see the humanity of you know the man's yeah. life that was underneath the knee of, of Chauvin and the humanity of the the crowd that was, you know. At, you know, and, 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 and is it a so, crowd? Is there only twelve people? Is that a exactly, crowd? exactly, Lori? When six or more people of color gather, they call it a gang. Mm-hmm. They call it a mob. They call it, but they didn't call that group that stormed the Capitol an angry mob. Yeah, I mean that's what's crazy. I mean these are people that were really going after the police. This was one man that was you know compliant from the get go, and. And exactly. It, it's hard to watch um, and hard not to be traumatized by uh, watching someone who, you know, was dancing around the the store and talking about football and baseball. And, you know, y- you can't help but feel empathy that just like an hour before, you know, you see this congenial guy that's giving hugs to people he knows. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think w- you bring up a great point. All of us could have been any person in that yes. in that scenario. Yes, we could have been George Floyd. We could have been Christopher Martin, the young man who, who took the bill, the twenty dollar bill. We could have been the manager who was slow to forgive. Mm-hmm. We could have been the part of the what they call angry mob who stood and watched. Yeah, uh, we could have been any person in that scenario. And some of us could have even been Derek Chauvin. Right. Right. So- it's about our connection to the witnesses, our connection to George Floyd, do we notice, or as as our listeners are listening, do they notice or did they notice any connection to the witnesses as their age came up, their race or their gender? Did these things resonate with you? Well, when you mention Christopher Martin, um, here's this young man, and he, you know, he could be my son. I mean, he's this, you know, working hard yeah. young man, and he didn't even think that the that that George knew that the uh, bill was uh, was a, a a fake, and yeah. and tried to, you know, he talked to his manager. Manager made him go out twice. The kid wasn't afraid to go out and talk to the guy. Um, and he really didn't think that George knew that it was a fake and thought he was doing right. George kind of a favor. Hey, heads up. This is a fake. You don't want to be passing these out. And it kind of, it also, um, that young man seemed to wear a lot of guilt oh, and grief on his, yes. on his face while he was sitting on the stand. Yeah. And off, often, I'm not sure which attorney was questioning him at the time, but the, the attorney that was questioning him was asking him questions and, he constantly kept saying, George Floyd was uh, upset and saying, why is this happening to me? Yeah. He he didn't see, and he also said, George Floyd was wide awake in the backseat of that car. Yeah. What's interesting also to me is that he... Um... He he told the manager he'd pay for the $20 bills, and the $20 bill, and the manager wanted to call the police instead. And yet it's that young man who feels guilty that he accepted the $20 bill and felt like everything could have changed if he had not accepted the $20 bill. And to carry that. And I could just, yeah, I could just imagine the grief and guilt and trauma that boy was carrying. And there may be folks out there that feel guilty about something that they thought in good intention they were going to help. I mean, I think we all have had a situation where we thought we were going to be helpful for someone. And when we're helpful, it only made it worse. 
Yeah, and that's what the young man said. Christopher yeah. Martin said they're not going to help him. And that he said, I, I was upset because I realized they were not going to help him. This was just going to be another situation where a black man was hurt by the police. And that's, and that's got to be also so a, profound. That's also got to be a crushing blow to, you know, your trust and belief that you, when you try yeah. and do the right thing and you think that you're doing the right thing, you think you're helping George out and then to have that be shattered. I, I, my heart was broken when I, I saw him grabbing, you know, grabbing his head and pacing back and forth. You know, the world was yeah. coming down on him as he saw someone. And if you think of it, if you think about it, you know, we've all, this goes right back to Annalise Singh's the handbook for racial healing because we've been socialized to believe certain things. We've been socialized to believe that if you call the police, they are coming to help you, not to hurt you. Yeah. And it is almost a privilege to have that belief because right. uh, it is a privilege to have that belief. And though, although Christopher Martin said, I knew they weren't going to help. We called them to help, and this is just another situation where a black man gets hurt by the police. Well, we're gonna, it's, it's sad. It, we're coming at the end of this segment, uh, but in the next segment, we're going to keep going and talking about some of the other uh, witnesses and how they bore witness because we're all witnesses to racism. We're and, all witnesses. That's right. And, and what do we want to do to bear witness? And how do we relate? And how could we learn from the bravery of our witnesses that are um, standing up and standing up to power? So we'll be right back and we'll continue uh, our conversation. Stay with us. This is Chad, owner of AM950, here to tell you about Snap Construction. They're experts in roofing, siding, window, and insurance restoration. They have energy-efficient products available for both residential and commercial properties. This spring, when we needed a company to take a look at a problem with our roof, I called the company I knew I could trust, Snap Construction. I've known Ryan, the owner at Snap Construction, for years, so I knew I could trust him. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their reviews online. They are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior contractor online in the metro area. Over the years, Ryan has always said the same thing to me about his work. If we build it, shouldn't we be held accountable for the work indefinitely? He backed that statement up years ago when Snap Construction was a pioneer in offering a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee on all their work. For a free estimate or general questions, call the locally owned company AM950 Trusts Snap Construction at 612-333-SNAP. That's 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. They have financing options available. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com. From classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. More than just a website, eatlocalminnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. From the team behind Nightingale comes Lake City Sandwiches, a new delivery and pickup sandwich service in Minneapolis. It's a great option when you need a quick meal. Everything is made fresh daily, and they believe in equal rights. That's why Lake City Sandwiches gives 50 cents of every sandwich sold to a different socially concerned charity. They have vegan and vegetarian options along with soup and sides. Delivery and pickup available daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., Place your order now at LakeCitySandwiches.com. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, host of the Sports Psychology Hour. Heard each Sunday at 7 a.m. here on the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Every week we delve into success in sports and life, coaching, youth sports, and so much more. We speak with athletes, coaches, parents, and just ordinary folks like you who want to achieve and have fun doing it. So tune into the Sports Psychology Hour with me, Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Sundays at 7 a.m. here on 950 a.m., the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
A lot of things are different with the pandemic, but we're still a blue state in Minnesota, so some traditions must go on. It's the 2021 AM 950 Blue State Ball, Saturday, April 17th. This year's Blue State Ball is going virtual, and everyone is going to be there. Stephanie Miller, John Fugelsang, Tom Hartman, all the local hosts. Virtual waiting room opens at 6, and the hosts begin at 7. Tickets cost $20. Join us on Saturday, April 17th for the 2021 AM 950 Virtual Blue State Ball. Ticket information at am950radio.com. where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and my co-host and co-producer today is Melissa Stanton-Adams. She is the president and executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. Welcome, Melissa. So glad you're here. Melissa, are you there? Yes, I am, Lori. There we go. Good to have you. So traditionally on Saturday morning, uh, first Saturday of the month, we're talking about the Racial Healing Handbook with Annalise Singh. And it's a great handbook, but you and I discussed yesterday that we're going to try and work in Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is exploring your er internalized racism. But what better way to really explore that than to do a debrief of the last week of the George Floyd trial and, and, and explore how the witnesses are giving testimony to the racism that they saw and, and, yes. and explore our, our own identification. We all witness racism. So, right. And I think it also ties into Annalise Singh's chapter two, which is around socialization. Right. I believe this ties in because we are socialized by all the things we see in society, even watching a trial on court TV right. or um, hearing about a man who was killed by a police officer in the streets of Minneapolis. All of these things feed into our socialization. Absolutely. So if you think about that little girl who had that shirt on that said uh-huh. love, uh-huh. yeah, she witnessed something that will follow her for the rest of her life. And I loved her statement when, at the end when he was asking her, well, how did it make you feel? She goes, I was sad and kind of mad. And I definitely, you know, it was like. From the miles of babes, yeah, right? It was like, yes. It, it just summed up how, how it really goes to the heart of, of we're both sad and mad about what has happened. But yes. here's this little girl who's willing to, you know, have the world watch her. Um, give well, not watch her because we it was, but listen to her and and hear her voice on on how it made her feel. Uh, I think that's important. And, and we all relate in different ways to each of the witnesses. The other witness that I felt very moved by uh, was Donald Williams. He's thirty three, oh, yes. and he was the mixed martial artist. And he knows jujitsu, and it was almost like he was doing jujitsu <laughs> with the. Uh, defense attorney that was questioning him because he kept the the defense attorney kept trying to impose on him you're an angry man you were angry and wow. he just took it back and said no you're not going to put that on me i i'm i i stayed in my body i was i was yes did i did i swear at them yes uh but it's it's difficult when you're watching someone be murdered and, and he called the police on the police and <laughs> Which is very I mean, powerful because yeah. he, he stated when on the call, he said he just pretty much killed the guy who wasn't a resisting arrest. And then he was asked, you know, so why didn't you talk to the police that were there? And and when he responded, because there was no connection. It, and I, that's the challenge, right? Yeah. The the problem that many people are, are seeing with our police department in the United States is that the police officers are no longer connected to the community. When I was coming up, you, I'm sure when you were coming up too, they had mm-hmm. what they called a beat cop. Yeah. Who, community. Who walked, Very community. Yeah. He Peace officer in the community. The yeah. Right. And they didn't drive through. They walked up and down the street. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think things have changed from, from the way they were when we were coming up. Or, and, or were there, I mean, I think that there are, I I do believe that there are good peace officers out there that really believe in community. And and so how do we figure out how to make those connections is important to me. You know, the, and I think it's about of, that value. 
part of our society will push back and say that the police department is a uh, offshoot of the folks who were catching slaves after yeah. after uh, slavery. Yeah. So today's um, police abolitionists are really, really talking about getting rid of the whole concept that we've been socialized to believe works mm -hmm. this current police department that we see in the u.s well so it's, it's cer a, it certainly has that yeah. feel when it goes into a lot of inner city that it it's an us against them instead of a a serving and protecting the community and having yes. the community you know at caring for the person who is you know that that you are have in custody there was no care shown whatsoever right. and now Today, we see this very adversarial relationship between police departments and communities. Mm -hmm. People in the community are telling their children to be careful of the police. Mm -hmm. Do not do this. Do not do that because you, we want you to make it back home, right? So this is not a society that we should be living in. No, no. And I have to believe that there is a place in our society for for peace and to bring back that sense of peace officer that can help direct that. But I think that's right. where the heart needs to come back to is what does it mean to be a peace officer and, and what does it right. mean to bring about peace in community? Because there's going to be conflict. There's going to be things that happen that are wrong. There's going to be things that need to get corrected. But what's what's the heart of it? it what is what is the assumption that people make when they go into community and is it to care or is it, um, you know, to have some sort of militarized zone where it's a war? Right, and that's part of it too. Why, why are we going into community? Why aren't they there already? Right, right. Many of our officers do not live in the communities that they're policing. Mm -hmm. Well, so you're, you're which, disconnected already, right? Which well, what, what brings back up to... which brings up though, Genevieve Hansen lived in the community she's two blocks down she's a firefighter so she is a she's not police but she is a first responder she is a support network and here she was i mean she's the one that i just my heart broke and i felt the most identification with genevieve she's there she sees that this is outrageous she's calling out because she wants to help she wants to have the pulse get taken she wants to be able to step in and be able to do what she is trained to do in 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 first responding. Um, she is a she's a trained medical professional, and they don't listen to her. I mean, nope. she's she is considered part of the problem by these folks. So right. why is a woman who lives in the community who wants to help who who should have been able to give the care that is every human right, but she was kept from being able to do that. Her level of frustration when they asked her, you know, were you swearing? And she's like, yeah, it's pretty hard when you watch a person die. Right. I, I don't understand, right? So here's the deal. They expected the witnesses to, to stand there calmly and watch a man be murdered, Right. And there was so much expectation placed on the witnesses, but none placed on Officer Chauvin. And as a friend of mine wrote on Facebook, uh, Stacy uh, Stacy Dinner Levin Levin uh, wrote, "Was it part of a show that?" that Chauvin actually enjoyed having an audience. Um, right, because he sure looked like he was not bothered by that crowd. Yeah. He had a smirk on his face. Yeah. And it, it's heartbreaking uh, to see that kind of, um, sort of this exposition, this sort of, you know, he can do anything and he doesn't have to be told when or how because he has the ultimate power. But the helplessness that what I'm sure Genevieve felt when she was trying to, you know, intervene. But I think what's important is not that she then walked away going, it's hopeless. You know, she she stood her ground 
in testifying and, and speaking right. her truth and telling her story. And that's, and that's what I took away from her. Very profound. All of the witnesses actually stuck around so that they could end up being here at the trial to give their testimony, which is um, noble and honorable of each of them. Well, Even we, the young man who um, we, we talked about earlier, Christopher, right? That's, that's something you would probably not want people to know. I was the one who, who said the bill was fake. I was yeah. the one who told my manager. You probably wouldn't want folks to know it was you. But he came and he talked and he, he honestly gave his testimony. And he, he talked from the heart with courage. This is how it felt. This is what I believed. Well, with that, we're going to need to take another break. We're coming up at the end. We've gone past, actually, our <laughs> break for the second segment, but we'll catch up for yeah. the third. We'll, we'll talk about a few more of the witnesses, and then we're going to open it up um, for folks to call in and tell us what they think, too. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Stop mowing the lawn. There are better ways to spend your time. Minnehaha Falls Landscaping can help you save time and money by installing no-mow, bee-friendly lawns. It's time to turn off your noisy lawnmower and catch the buzz with happy native pollinators. Low-maintenance, low-cost landscaping makes life easier for bees, butterflies, and you. So save money, save bees, and save your weekend. Visit MinnehahaFallsLandscape.com. That's MinnehahaFallsLandscape.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. Finding the right lawyer is incredibly stressful. It can be tough to know even where to start. Don't just run an internet search for an attorney. Start with the Minnesota Lawyer Referral and Information Service, an enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They'll connect you with over 200 thoroughly vetted, qualified attorneys practicing in over 50 areas of law. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. Do you believe in ghosts? Ever wondered if aliens from other planets visit the Earth? Have you ever thought about whether Bigfoot is real? My name is Greg Bakken, and on my new show, Ghost Box Radio, we'll have these conversations about the paranormal, ufology, Bigfoot, or just the unusual, bringing together guests who are experts in these fields. Join me every Sunday at 4 p.m. for Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken on AM 950, even if you're a skeptic. Your home's insulation probably isn't something you think about too much, but it's absolutely vital to keeping your home comfortable in both the summer and winter. So have AirSilTech, Minnesota's premier insulation contractor, provide a free no-obligation inspection on your home's insulation health. Their highly trained installers can make your home more comfortable and energy efficient year-round. And right now, AirSilTech will double your insulation rebate up to $1,000 if you mention AM950. Call 612-888-3664. That's AirSilTech. They bring comfort home. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, hey! the dreaded <laughs> splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. My co-host and co-producer today is Melissa Stanton-Adams. She is the president and the executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute. 
And the first Saturdays of the month, we talk about the Racial Healing Handbook by Annalise Singh. And uh, Chapter 2 is exploring your internalized racism. But when Melissa and I were preparing for the show, we thought, well, let's be a missed opportunity not to have a chance to debrief about the George Floyd murder case and use that to explore internalized racism, uh, explore the chapter by really Look, thinking about and talking about the witnesses, how they witnessed racism and their reaction to the, the racism, as well as the murder. I mean, the murder is front and center, but there's so many layers of racism all around it and lots of different witnesses, multicultural, different ages, uh, different perspectives of how they witnessed the racism and what we can learn about um, our own testament. Uh, our own ways that we want to speak up and speak out against racism. Melissa, I'm glad you're here today. I'm happy to be here. It is a uh, beautiful day out in Minnesota. Sun is shining and I'm trying to um, channel my racial healing, finding ways to practice self-care this weekend because we had a heavy week of uh, testimony in the George Floyd trial. Um, and I think everyone should be practicing some form of self-care or well-being. So and it's this exhausting. is a great conversation. It's it exa- is. It's exhausting. There, uh, it's been a year of exhaustion. Um, oh, yeah. But right. I do, I do want to also let folks know that we are going to open the phone calls in just a few minutes. Um, we're going to go through a few more of the uh, witnesses. And we're encouraging the audience to think about, is there someone in particular that you felt um, – a kindred spirit to, uh, a sense of connection to. And that uh, our phone number is 952-946-6205. Again, that's 952-946-6205. But we're going to first go through just three more of the witnesses uh, that we think played an important role of sharing their story. Uh, The young woman, uh, Darnella, uh, is the reason why we can... Uh, understand what happened because it was her videotape and yet she every night apologizes to George Floyd yes. um, because she felt like she could do more and and yet she also knew and, and, and testified it shouldn't be me that is sorry it, it should be Officer Chauvin right exactly I think too it's important for us to state that we will not be saying Darnella's first name because last she name. is last name. Last name. Yeah. Um, because, you know, she's a young person. Uh, mm-hmm. She just turned 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And again, I just think about what people are experiencing and the pain or trauma that Darnella Frazier is going, I'm sorry, Darnella is going through. Yeah. Then there was the 61-year-old man, um, Charles McMillian, uh, and you know he just broke down when he heard him call uh, about his uh, – when, when he heard George call out for his mother, and, and he related because he didn't have his mother either. And he was trying to you know, create some kind of like you know, peace. You know, he was trying to console him about just do what they say, but how could he do it? they say when his you know when there's a knee on his neck um and it was just heart-wrenching to see him break down you know that was a moment too you know when he just started crying that i had this great sense of that's how i feel (laughs) you know it's just yes and i think you know part of the challenge too for darnella was that um a lot of times folks were saying well why didn't why did she's standing there filming. Why didn't she do something? Mm -hmm. And I want people to understand that as a person of color, you do not interfere with the police because that could be your life. Right. We do have a caller. So I'm going to let the the caller join us. And are you on now? Uh, We're working on getting that call. Okay. Are you on now? Do we have that caller? Uh, do we have the caller now? I'm just going to wait and I'll have my producer let me know when that caller's ready to join us. Uh, maybe yeah. they, they dropped off. Um, 
It's okay. Sorry, I think, sorry um, if we lost that that caller. Please call back. The number is nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Again, that number is nine five two nine four six six two zero five. And then what we can um, we can do is talk about uh, not someone who is a witness, but someone who was uh, deeply in love with uh, with George Floyd, Courtney Ross. How did you feel when when Courtney was testifying, uh, Melissa? I thought I thought it was uh, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. I was afraid um, because I know that many people are going to try and use the fact that Mr. Floyd was dealing with substance use issues. They're they're going to try and use that against him. The fact that Mr. Floyd was dealing with homelessness, um, they're going to try and use that against him. And regardless, you know, as to what his life circumstances or social issues he were dealing he was dealing with, mm-hmm. there was a knee on his neck for nine minutes. Well, and anybody, the, uh, and I think she also humanized the whole opioid uh, addiction. And yes. and and maybe that would have worked ten years ago, but right now I think there's great empathy and understanding for people who are doing self medication. We do have yes. someone back, so um, I'm hoping that the caller called back, and I'm going to have Dan open the line. Um, are you with us now? Hello. Hi Hello. there. And hi. Hi. Thank you for calling in. Oh. Tell me, did you, was there a particular witness that, that you felt a connection to or just would you like to share about the experience of the trial this week? We'd love to hear what your thoughts well, are. Well, I, I, I mean all of it. I just I felt touched by all of it. In fact, every, I, I, I've not been able to sleep very well because I'm thinking about it a lot, all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I was so proud of that crowd. Yes. We should all be so lucky to have a crowd like that if our life is in danger. I mean, they did what they could. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, well, yeah, you're going to yes. go up to police officers and try to take their guns away. Good luck with that. Right. So anyone that said, oh, they could have done more. Um, they did everything they thought they could for what they were allowed to do. And there's so many, you know, as you said, there's so many levels to this. Right. And everybody knew that there was something wrong. Everybody knew, except yes. for the police, apparently, in this situation. But, I mean, even the the person that t- took the call, the you know, the 9-11 operator, she even called her boss to find out something was wrong here. Yeah. Everybody knew. Everybody well, that had a heart and empathy knew something was wrong. She thought that it would maybe the, that was a frozen image because she couldn't believe that, that she saw the same thing. How, how could he still have his knee on, on that neck? Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, I loved how she said, you know, you might call me a snitch. I mean, we almost seem like we have to apologize um, when we speak to power. And I found that amazing throughout it all. I mean, would have it well, been different? Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, imagine I was just when when they're trying to use the, the crowd as an excuse, as oh. a defense. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, what kind of a crowd would you have if you had a lynching? Right. Now, that's a crowd that I wouldn't be proud of. And, and it's like, you know, there wouldn't have been lynchings if the crowd would have been strong enough to be like, you know, have a heart and empathy and go, you know, mm-hmm. this is wrong. I mean, this is gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, and mm-hmm. that's a crowd. That's the way you want a crowd to be, the way those people were just empathy and heart and caring. And, you know, to see the stone cold, you know, face of Derek Chauvin just sitting on him and digging his knee in, and, you know, I, I teach driving and I work with teenagers. And whenever we drive to Minneapolis, we end up having a conversation about this. And, you know, out in the white suburbs, you know, the white kids hear things from their parents. And mm-hmm. and there's usually excuses made. And, and very kindly, we will have this conversation. And I said, you have to realize this has gone on for a long time. And this is, yeah. I mean, I grew up in, in, was born in Florida where I had a, a black babysitter who was not allowed to ride in the front seat with my grandfather who came to visit, who was going to bring her, her home. And he opened up the front door for her to get in, you know, and she said, oh no, I, I can't ride in the front seat with you. Your car will be on fire tomorrow. Ugh. And I mean, this has just yeah. gone on so long and it's just, it's so 
And, and it's part of that that structural racism. It's part of what we hear from our parents. And and you bring up such a good point. And it's it's actually something that's highlighted in the racial healing handbook of like how are we socialized to believe these things. Yes. Um, and how do we question them? And then at what point when we've got that dissonance, when we go, wait a minute, there's something strange here. Why, why shouldn't she be able to sit in the front seat with my mm-hmm. grandfather? Um, you know, at what point do we go, wait a minute, we want to have things different or can we just live with it as the same? And you make such a good point. Those witnesses, that crowd were just saying, no, this is not acceptable. They could have walked away, but they didn't. Yeah. And here's. Here's my point on the crowd being the issue. Police are for crowd control. So if you're not able to do your job while a crowd is around, there are police officers in the, um, when they have the Super Bowl, there are police officers in the stadium ensuring crowd control. And, and excuse That's, me, three of those crowd, three of those 12 were children. I mean, you're right. going to be afraid of a child. Mm-hmm. That that's your job is crowd control. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was six police officers, four to six police officers, and a crowd of six people. That well, crowd distracted you so that so long that you had to keep your knee on. The, they distracted you by saying, "Take your knee off of his neck." Mm-hmm. Right. That was the distraction. Take your knee off of him. You're killing him. He's dying. He can't breathe. Those distractions made you keep your knee on his neck. That makes no sense. Before you, we, we do have to go for um, our segment is at an end. But before we go, the caller, I'd just like to ask you one more question. I thought you said, brought up such a wonderful point. If you're going to have a crowd to support you, you couldn't have gotten a better crowd than, exactly. than that crowd. Is there something else that you want to share in terms of with our audience about uh, this week and and what you're taking away in terms of witnessing um, and and what is our role as a witness to stand up uh, uh, and be an anti-racist? But what does it mean to you personally? To stand up for your belief and what's the right thing to do as well? I mean, the thing is, is if the if Derek Chauvin would have listened to that crowd and listened to there was one officer that did say shouldn't we put him on his side right. if he would have guess what he wouldn't be where he is now i mean mm-hmm. facing what he is now i mean it would have made his life better too right so this is win win for everybody oh, um make, to do the right thing oh you make such a good yeah. point because racism hurts everyone absolutely hey and at the end of the day don't kill the people that you are trying to arrest because you could have a good day at the end of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, yeah. It hurts everybody. Look at Minneapolis and all the businesses and, and the, and the town is boarded up and it almost looks like a ghost town in some places. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has hurt so many people in so many ways. And of course, just yeah. the sadness of, of watching, you know, that was, you know, I'll, I'll, I mean, I wasn't there, but I'll never get over it myself. Right. We're all, I think we're all right. traumatized by it. And yet. And we should be. And we should be. And, and perhaps we can use that to continue to build change. Yeah. That this you. will be what it takes for us to say no and, and reimagine, you know, a better community where, where we, we have more our, value and respect. I appreciate our caller. And I want to say thank you for making some great points. And thank you for listening. Well, thank you for doing the show on this topic. Thank you. Well, we have to go. We have just a few. I've run way over our third segment. So uh, stay with us. We will be wrapping up in just a few minutes. At Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, we got our wood stove to lower our carbon footprint and to harvest our own renewable energy. We discovered more. Fire offers both stillness and engagement. It connects us to the basic and often overlooked moments that enrich our lives. It opens the mind to music, reading, and being with those you love. We gather our friends, our family, and our minds around the fire. At Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, it is our job to find a place for fire that works in your life. We have a diverse selection of fireplace products. Clean wood burning, convenient gas burning, and easy-to-install electric stoves and fireplaces for inside your home or outdoors, too. 
Fire does more than offer comfort from the cold. Fire warms the heart. At Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, there are so many ways to discover your place for fire. With over 35 working indoor and outdoor fireplaces on display at the corner of East Franklin Avenue and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1970. Hi, everybody. This is Santita Jackson of AM 950's new daily morning drive show, The Santita Jackson Show. Minneapolis, St. Paul, I couldn't be more excited about starting our days together. Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 a.m. Central, on the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. We'll bring you the best progressive talkers, thinkers, and doers. And there's one more seat at the table, and that belongs to you. Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 a.m. Central, morning drive on AM 950. Minnesota's Progressive Voice, The Santita Jackson Show. From the team behind Nightingale comes Lake City Sandwiches, a new delivery and pickup sandwich service in Minneapolis. It's a great option when you need a quick meal. Everything is made fresh daily, and they believe in equal rights. That's why Lake City Sandwiches gives 50 cents of every sandwich sold to a different socially concerned charity. They have vegan and vegetarian options along with soup and sides. Delivery and pickup available daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Place your order now at lakecitysandwiches.com. I'm Rick Unger. You've heard the screamers. You've heard the shouters, the haters, the beraters. Well, now it's time to listen to a real conversation, a rational conversation. Now it's time for the Rick Unger Show. Listen to the Rick Unger Show weeknights from 8 to 10 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Stream at am950radio.com or search KTNF on the TuneIn app. Not only does Rudy Luther Toyota have a great selection of new vehicles, but Rudy Luther is also one of the largest volume Toyota certified used vehicle dealers in the country. They have better prices than many non-certified dealers, offer the seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty, and all their vehicles go through a comprehensive inspection and reconditioning process. And they pay you top dollar for your trade-in, even if you didn't buy your vehicle from them or if you're not going to buy your next vehicle from them. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we've been talking about the George Floyd trial. Uh, The first Saturday of the month, we have our wonderful conversations on the Racial Healing Handbook. And my co-host and co-producer, Melissa Stanton-Adams, who is the president and executive director of the Stanton-Adams Diversity Institute, um, helps lead our conversations but this week we we decided that instead of just doing kind of an overview of what this book is and opening it up to the audience to talk about the book, we thought, let's talk about what's happened. Let's talk about George Floyd and, and the witnesses and how they have how they have borne witness to what they saw. And um, as our caller said in our last segment, you know, if you're going to be in a situation like that, what a wonderful crowd to support you. It's unfortunate that they weren't heard. Melissa, thank you for for helping guide the conversation today oh thank you Lori. and i think um it's usually just you and i having a great conversation but today we had the opportunity to speak with the community and hear from one of our callers one of our listeners so that was a great ad i think uh this conversation is super important to continue to have we have for so long been socialized to believe that race is a taboo topic that should not be discussed. But the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes, you know, to have these conversations. So I appreciate you and thank you for being willing to open up the phone lines and open up your your station and connections radio to the Diversity Institute to be able to have these conversations. Absolutely. And one of the things that you started to mention in the last segment was, you know, it is overwhelming at times and we do need to do some self-care. Yes. And you had some ideas that you especially wanted to share with the audience in terms of how do we do self-care and what are some action steps that we can take away? I mean, we can be very upset about all of this, but if we can turn it into action, um, it's much more empowering. So. Give us what some ideas that you have on that so that we, we know how to take all of these, you know, like that child said, I feel I feel both uh sad and angry. You know, how do I take these these feelings and issues and turn them into something um that can help me and help, you know, my community? Well, I think first the first thing is it starts with self awareness. 
practice self-awareness. Try to learn. Try to find opportunities to learn. Visit the diversityinstitute.org and you can find events that we're doing where we will be having conversations about race. We'll be taking this conversation into a deeper dive as well. So getting educated and upgrading your updating your knowledge is going to be important. Don't forget to look at statistics and data because that can really give some edification to what you're doing. Look at pewresearch.org. They have a lot of research on what's happening around race relations in the U.S. Once you've kind of increased your self-awareness, start practicing self-management, which means that when you go into situations, you're being observant, and you're thinking, listening, and then you're speaking and reacting. But you're taking a moment to pause between there. And when I say self-care, I mean anything that you love to do that takes you to that flow zone. I like to paint. I paint a lot. Um, I also love to use paint by numbers because it <laughs> takes away the. Um, it takes away from having to come up with a creative picture sure. to to designing. I can just jump in and start painting. If you love to play golf, if you love to play video games, if you love to take a hot chamomile bath, if your favorite thing is to watch one of your favorite, binge on one of your favorite TV shows, do something to practice that self-care. And when I talk about action, I think that means actually getting up off of the couch, off of Facebook, off of social media, if you can, going out into your community, using your hands, your heart, and your mind to help some of these individuals and nonprofits that need help. Volunteering at a nonprofit could be a very good way to get connected to your community. And you know, I think you, you bring a good point that if we stay in this this place of just being angry and sad, um, we don't necessarily connect. And if the goal is, you know, increasing, you know, our sense of connection and and showing, you know, our honor and our value and our our hope and our dreams, it's it's doing something productive. And there are many uh, nonprofits out there. I encourage you to consider being part of that. But also stay tuned with the George Floyd. Um, as painful as it is, I think it is important to see this through. Now, we only have a minute left, but uh, Melissa, do you have you know some final words for us to be thinking about in the week ahead? Practice self-care and practice racial healing. Um, we all need to heal from these um, systemic oppression and, and marginalization that we see in our society. And racism, racism hurts everyone. Every- I think that's my last statement. Racism hate, harms everyone. It harms people who are impacted, those who are marked, who are anti-racist. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being part of the solution. Uh, again, we encourage you to take a look at the Racial Healing Handbook. We'll be back next month uh, and continue our journey in discussing um, how, to, how to really practice next week.